shocking and uncomfortable, and some of you might wish I wouldn't share them. But I think it's fascinating that there are some black men in our community who some of their first response actually wasn't Black Lives Matter. Their first response was, you know what? I came from that neighborhood. I came from those kinds of neighborhoods. And frankly, I probably trust the cops more than I trust the fact that these kids, that that, that some of these men went down. I'm, I'm actually upset because you know what? There's so much violence in our own community. We need to be talking about black on black crime. I'm paraphrasing. Some of the people that I interviewed, some of the people I interviewed, white people, were so frustrated and go, if you were to even say something like all lives matter, all I mean, I will defriend you, I will cut you down. I will cut, I mean, it was like violent language. And we understand that for those of us who understand what's happening in the Black Lives Matter movement. And then a, 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 I think 18-year-old, 19-year-old of color I interview next. And you know what his response was? Man, I just, all this stuff, just all lives matter. All lives matter. I'm like, the, the, my point in all this is the paradigm even is not, it's not as clear cut. The echo chamber of social media tells us everybody over here thinks this and everybody over here thinks this. Everybody over here is against everybody else over there. Right? That's the, that's the language. That's where the push is. And I gotta be honest, I was overwhelmed with joy. I specifically walked in some of the most random neighborhoods. I went to a press conference. I went downtown. I went over to South Providence. I tried to diversify getting these little interviews. And I was shocked at the unity. The unity. I just am tired. I'm tired. I don't feel like there's a lot of hope. Obviously, one state police officer, there are such bad cops and there are such awful systems going on. Black community leader of, of, I won't name, he asked me not to name his name, of a particular community center, been in the neighborhood for years. He said, yeah, absolutely, there's racial injustice. Absolutely, there's systemic evil. Absolutely, we need to stand up against the brokenness of this. But my job, man, you have no idea how much like work we've done with the police that feels like all of this gets undone. And so I've got hot-headed teenagers who are just flipping out and looking for any expense to burn the world down. And he sat there and then for the next three minutes started talking about how he needs to ramp up his, his love and care and mentorship of 18 to 25 year old black men. It was in other words, all the lines were being crossed. All the things that so many of us obviously feel I say obviously because I think there's a humanity that binds us all being made in the image of God. We go, that's evil. That's broken. We want justice. We want peace. And so the Psalms give us language to do this. They give us language, especially as Christians, to stop blaming and begin to look inwardly at our own heart, at our own pain, at our own desire for God to do more, and then our own culpability in it. I woke up this morning... This is after the Dallas shooting, looking for someone to blame. Sorry, this was before the Dallas shooting. Looking for someone to blame, someone to hate, someone who I can make the single target of my fear about what had happened. The next morning, I woke up the same regarding the officers killed in Dallas. It was such a desperate feeling to want to discharge the uncertainty and scarcity. And then it dawned on me that this is the exact drive that fueled what's happening right now. 
Instead of feeling hurt, we act out our hurt. Rather than acknowledging our pain, we inflict it on others. Neither hate nor blame will lead to the justice and peace that we all want. It will only move us further apart. But we can't forget that hate and blame are seductive. Anger is easier than grief. Blame is easier than real accountability. And when we choose instant relief in the form of rage, we're in many ways choosing permanent grief for the world. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 77? Psalm 77. I'm going to share for a few minutes this morning. I'm going to kind of let the Psalms speak for themselves. If you're someone who's an auditory learner, I'd actually ask you to not follow along and close your eyes and listen. If you're someone who needs the text in front of you and that will help you engage, then please feel free. I cried aloud to God. I hope that's what we just did the last 40 minutes of our service. I cried aloud to God. Aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. My soul refuses to be comforted. I can't make my soul be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. My spirit then made a diligent search. The psalmist at this point, everything is falling apart. There's an ache can't even bring himself to be comforted. There's a pain. It even hurts to sort of remember God and a crying out. In a more demonstrative culture, I know some of you are from that, from more demonstrative cultures in terms of how you emote. There'd be a wailing, a crying out. This service would be 40 times louder. Irish funeral, right? This would be like right, before, like right after the funeral, there'd be like a lot of drunkenness and beer bottles thrown. If you're white, European, and American, you get really quiet and climb into your shell. Not to be stereotypical. So there's this ache, wherever that spot is for you, culturally or with your family or wherever else you come from. And then he says, I, I need to search. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? So he's questioning the quality of God. Like, what's God like? Has the steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Is God that angry at us as a nation? Is God that angry at us as individuals? Is God that angry at us as fill in the blank with your race, your ethnicity, your background, your culture? Is God that angry? Why, oh Lord? Then I said, his soul's searching. His soul's looking for something. He's trying to remember what's gone before. He's trying to ground something in reality outside of just the immediate spike of anger. 
which is justified and real. But his soul begins to search. Then I said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Come on. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. We think of meditation, right? Like I will. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. These word, this word meditate was like, was like growl over. Like I will like, I will remember. I will pull out the journal and remember what you did. I'm gonna call my mom and remember that time that God did that thing. I will recall the moment that God rescued me and saved me. For some of us, it's history. We need to become better students of history. I know for me, it was like, I will recall the Christian peacemakers. I will recall the people who have made peace, who've laid down their life. I will go back to the word of God and look at the women and men who have stood up in the face of injustice that God has led, strengthened, and things have changed. I will remember the reality that that moment where God saved me wasn't just a Mountain Dew Christian camp like moment. I will remember the fact that I was loved and set free. I will remember that most of my ethics in my life are actually grounded in the principles that lie in this book. I will remember his mighty deeds. The psalmist is like, I, I refuse as I'm heading down from anger and hurt into despair, the psalmist does what? He goes, I want to let my soul search. My soul begins to search and remember and recall who God is and what he has done. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You, with your arm, redeemed for your people the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. I become like a Pentecostal when I read the end of Psalm 77. If you're new with us, I don't really yell this much. Man. Like, how could you not read this and like all of a sudden get a little cadence? When the waters saw that you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they were deeply trembled. They deeply trembled. That's where you say Amen. The cloud poured out water and the skies gave forth thunder and your arrows flashed on every side. Amen. The crash of your thunder was in the world when the lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Amen. Your way was through the sea and your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This writer is remembering his history. And it does not remove his despair I'm sorry, it does not remove his pain. It does not remove his anger. In fact, there is a righteous anger spoke of in the scripture. But what it does is as he, it, this psalm, it reminds him. Remind, this is written to a, a people to sing. It's a reminder, remember our past. Maybe this psalm was read in Babylon when the people were in exile and it felt like there was such oppression and it's in that moment of oppression. There's a reason the Psalms are sung and led. They've been turned into, into um, spirituals. Many of the Negro spirituals are modeled after Psalms. The injustice in our country, it was this book that was used by those that were under the boot of the empire, over under the boot of slavery and pain, that they were reminded that this will not last forever. They were reminded that death has been overcome. 
They are reminded that they can be empowered to love and lead and serve and be the people they were called to be, even while under the foot of oppression. The mourning, this universal ache. The psalmist pivots. Turn with me to Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Here's another psalmist talking to himself. Some of the psalmists have some little deep-seated mental issues. There are multiple times, right? That song we sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. You know that song? Worship his holy name, right? It's a good song. Sing like never before. How many of you, when you're singing that song, you're like, bless the Lord, oh my, you're singing like this, right? Which is great. It's kind of funny, because you really, you should be sort of like, I don't know if this is where your soul is. It's like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his whole. Oh, you just get your camera out and just flip the camera around. You're like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's what's happening. You're singing to himself. The people that this was written to are collectively together. We are literally singing to ourselves. There's gonna be counselors in the back. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Because sometimes you need to be reminded of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will. It's not I feel like singing. It's like I will. I'm making a choice right now. I will sing. I will sing. I have had to preach twice in the last six months. You've probably been here, many of them. I literally, I literally thought about on Friday preaching the same message I had preached. I've preached on, on uh, privilege, talked about white privilege, Black Lives Matter, talked about multiculturalism and how we move toward justice in two separate big teachings. That's a lot for six months. It could be said many more times and in many different ways. But today, the reason for reading these Psalms, why I'm gonna keep going, is I had this distinct feeling as I walked around Providence that though we need to spend, again, the 40 minutes we just spent lamenting, we actually need to pivot today. Where else are people gonna find hope if they don't find it here? That we needed to pivot. We don't need to rush past it. I'm not rushing to Sunday. I'm not trying to stop the tears. I'm not trying to stop the good and righteous anger that needs to well up when we need to deal with injustice, but we've gotta pivot. We can't be people run by our anger. Death has lost and the grave is overcome and we are people of hope and people of life. And so we, with the psalmist, we sing to ourselves, I gotta remind myself, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. I will sing praises, I will, I will. And then there's some instruction in this psalm, which is different for these sorts of psalms. Put your, not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in systems. Put not your trust in Obama. Put not your trust in Trump. Put not your trust in Hillary. Put not your trust in fill in the blank. Government and the systems of this world are only helpful as long as they look like the kingdom. They're only as helpful as a tool of the kingdom. We are never to be subservient to them. There's a lot I can say on that. We'll preach about that in the fall, election season. Sound good? Anyone not want to come to that one? (laughs) Anyone not want to preach about that? (laughs) 
put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. I love that. In a son of man who in him is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. This is like a Hebrew play on words. Put not your trust in Adam. That's where we get the name Adam. It's like the earth man. Put not your trust in people made of flesh and in dirt because they're gonna just return to the dirt. I love the, the word about his spirit, his, his breath will depart from him. The long-windedness, the endless arrogance and ignorance and, and division that so often sadly comes from our leaders, it'll fade. The breath will be gone. Their long-windedness will be gone. The talk show analyst who the only way he's making money is talking about this 24 hours a day and making everything worse. The person who decides to blame the shootings of what's happened on the Black Lives Matter movement, which is ironic because the police were there keeping peace. And there's tons of pictures of Black Lives Matter protesters with the police loving each other and caring for each other and protecting one another, even in the midst of anger. And you've got politicians and you've got radio like personalities that want to try to posit them. It is evil. It is evil. There's their wind, their hot air, the mess that they are making, it's going to fade it will fade. It'll fade. It won't be here forever. In fact, one person reminded me, things are bad, but things could get so much worse. They have before in the church, and God has been faithful to the church, and it has endured. We have endured far worse. And that is not an invitation to sit back. It's an invitation to engage, knowing our God goes before us. Our God goes before us. Their breath will depart and return to the earth. And on that very day, their plans will perish And then he jumps back in, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. Blessed are you if your hope's in the Lord. Just FYI. Cool? You are blessed if your hope is in God. You will be blessed. Just, this is the word. I don't, I got nothing else. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Sorry. Who keeps his faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed. This is our God. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. We don't have to trust that. I will never shove that idea of God down someone's throat. Jesus never coerces the way in which we love and influence is by loving each other. I will never shove that down someone's throat, but I gotta be honest, that is a pretty sweet view of God. That's, that's our God. My invitation to you in part today, as we've invited each other to lament and mourn and weep and get angry and be engaged, and we're gonna have some opportunities to do some real learning on this in a minute or at another time we're gonna announce in a second. But my invitation this morning is to trust that that's the God we're dealing with. I wanna read it again. Can I read it again? You don't have to believe this. I know many of you aren't here and aren't followers of Jesus. Maybe you're hoping for something a little less Jesus-y. I'm sorry, I don't have that for you this morning. We have a hope in something far greater than just trying to adjust the systems. Because at the end of the day, really, if I can say one more thing to that, I can't change the racism in a police officer's heart. 
We can get more guns off the street. That might help. Yeah, that might help. We can definitely do better trainings for police officers and there's things we can do. Absolutely, and we should advocate for those things. But to quote Dr. King at the end of the day, I cannot make a man love me. We can work to make sure he doesn't lynch me, he says, but I cannot make a man love me. As followers of Jesus, literally Jesus came. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins, to, recognize, to, to point to us and recognize that we are loved followers of Jesus made in the image of God. He says the dividing wall has come down. You are all children of the Most High. And he has come to show us what it is to love and lay down our life. To lay down our life. This is what this God is about. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. He's faithful forever. Is that a good thing? Yes. Who executes justice for the oppressed. That's what our God is like. That's what Jesus makes clear. Just to be, just to be crystal clear, this is what God is like. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. And so the tension that we have, one of the many tensions we have then as we close, is this is what God is like and we trust that what God is up to and has been up to. We can look to history, we can look to our stories and we can put our trust there. And God is also inviting us to join him in that renewal. It says in 1 Corinthians that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. I'll just paraphrase this. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself. He's reconciling us to each other. And he's given us, if you are here and a follower of Jesus, you have the internal spiritual makeup to be a minister of reconciliation. Because you know, you know that you are so deeply loved and forgiven, even at your worst, that how could you not extend that to somebody else? How could we be arrogant? You can't be a Christian. You can't. We can't be faithful and not turn to our own heart and go, soul, remember that I am saved, rescued, and forgiven. Remember the table, the bread, and the cup, that I have been so loved that even in the face of my enemy, I will pray. Part of our mourning, what did we pray? God, give me the strength to bless even those who commit violence. That's church. There are sexual minorities in this room that do not agree with each other on a number of issues. There are a number of different people who are voting for different folks within our community. There are people in our community who should be aligned because they're X, Y, and Z with that movement and other people that should be X, Y, and Z and aligned with that movement and they're not. But they're about to serve communion to one another. They're about to come together because we know whatever our background, whatever the things that we've experienced as individuals, the pain that we have felt, the brokenness, the books that we have read, wherever it is that we know that there is healing and life in the name of Jesus. There is healing and life and restoration and reconciliation. And Jesus 
has given us this ministry to go out into the world and be peacemakers. The kind of army that lays down its life. The kind of army that believes that's the way things change. The kind of army that has the history to prove it. It's only when the church has been corrupt and heretical that it has not been faithful and caused problems. We need radicalized Christians. Yes, hear me. Radicalized Christians. Because radicalized Christians are people who just lay down their life for people who are coming at them. People who love their enemy. And even as they work for change and even as they say this is wrong and we stand up against this, we do it in a way that not only honors and loves both sides, but we do it in a way that isn't just based out of our own self-satisfaction and anger and ego. We do it from a place of what's wrong with the world? I am. We do it from a place of what's wrong with the world? Nah, I, I am. What's wrong? I'm probably culpable in some way I don't understand. You know, I don't get all this white privilege stuff. It seems fake and I don't understand it. I don't get it, it seems like something all cooked up. You know what? You know what, I probably don't understand something. There's probably something I don't understand. I need to understand my own privilege. I'm gonna assume that there's something I need to change. I'm gonna assume there's something I need to pray about because my assumption is I wanna move toward the other. I wanna be a minister of reconciliation. It says at the end of this verse in Corinthians that's as though God were making his appeal through you. God is making his appeal to reconciliation through you. And so your dinner table, how diverse is it? A lot of you live in the city. A lot of you live in neighborhoods that are on the gentrifying edge. What about those that don't go to Ogie's and Julian's? Do we know them? Are they in our homes? Are we eating with those that are the other, whatever the other is? I look around and am so encouraged by so much of this community and this church because I've seen over and over, despite all our failures and hypocrisy and brokenness, I've seen people who are so far apart in the world's eyes, who are Fox News and MSNBC, who are Trump and Bernie, come together and ask the bigger questions of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and begin to transcend the way the world divides us and work toward real justice and real reconciliation, welcoming people home. Our God made known in Jesus is the God who dies on the cross for his people, who loves them that much. And this week, if you're anything like me, you've needed to be reminded of that. You've needed to be reminded of these things. God is a God of the oppressed. God is the God of the empty grave. God is the God. As I'm heading down into despair in Psalm 77, I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I feel helpless and I feel lost. I will remember who this God is and what he's invited me to and so my dinner table is gonna change. I will remember what God has taught me and showed me and you know what? I'm going to move toward advocating for that. I am going to not be the vitriolic person on social media. I am going to begin to work against the systems that corrupt. I'm gonna to get to know someone of color. I'm going to get to know a white person. I'm going to get to know, I'm going to begin to identify with those that are hurting because that's what Jesus does. So we come to the table. There's so much to say. There's so much to say. We come to the table and today, uh, the communion greeters can kind of stand down. <laughs> and what we're going to do, if you're here and you're a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the table is open to you. If you want to trust and put your trust that Jesus is alive and real today, 
that this representing Christ's body broken and his blood poured out, it's a picture of love, the greatest picture of love the world has ever seen. And come to the table, I'm gonna ask, we've done this before. Maybe I'll have the greeters start, the servers start. Come forward and you take the bread and you dip it in the cup. And they will say to you, Christ's body broken and blood poured out. And in your mind, you just go, forgiveness, love. This is what God is like and what God has invited me to, that we as the body of Christ would break ourselves open and pour ourselves out. And then after they're done serving you, you take the bread and cup and you turn and you serve the next person. And you might be surprised whose eyes you're looking into. Someone not you. Someone who doesn't see the world in the same way but someone who has just centered themselves on the love and forgiveness and grace and power of Jesus. It's a good thing, right? And all you need to say is Christ's body broken and blood poured out. If you forget that line, just say cheers. Just say cheers because this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the love that has been poured out. That this moment of brokenness and evil and pain and violence has turned to something beautiful, which is what we're all praying for for our nation right now. Amen. That Alice, God, you would use this in a way that would bring about life. Alton, you'd use the situation to bring about life. The arrest of advocates last night, you would use this to bring about life.